chapter 4, and uh, we'll read uh, to the end uh, this, this morning, uh, verses 6 through 11, as we uh, finish up with the book of Jonah. And we've seen Jonah, and he's been obstinate and rebellious, and, and we followed him through. He was supposed to go to Nineveh, didn't want to do that uh, because he was afraid they would repent. Uh, went the other way, he ends up on a boat, there's a big storm, he ends up in a, the belly of a fish, finally gets uh, spit out on shore, and then he does go to Nineveh, calls out against it, they repent, and, and God doesn't bring judgment upon them, and uh, Jonah's upset, very upset, and that's uh, where we left him. Uh, he was sitting outside the, the city, and he's angry, uh, he's still rebellious, and uh, he wants to see the city destroyed, and he's just not going to see it. But he's sitting out there in the hot sun, and uh, here's where we'll pick up the story then. Jonah chapter 4, beginning at verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head, to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city? in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that as we look into it, you will strengthen your truth in our hearts, that we will learn from Jonah, and that you will lead us we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the things that uh, we usually talk about at the beginning of going into a book is the author of the book. And this was several weeks ago now, and I kind of just skimmed over who wrote Jonah. Uh, some people say we don't really know uh, who wrote the book of Jonah. Um, but I would say, well, who knows all the details that have been written in the book of Jonah? Uh, you know, who knows that God spoke to him and then he ran and, and that Jonah was down in this boat, all the other sailors sailed on, you know? Who knows what was said in, in the belly of the fish? And who knows that Jonah was out all alone sitting watching this city? Well, Jonah knows. And so, at very least, Jonah is telling this to someone who's writing it down. 
But God, of course, who inspired all scripture, is, is uh, writing this for us. But, but you would have to say Jonah is, is telling the story, uh, either to us uh, with what he's written or to this person who is writing it down. And, and, and I say that because there are some things, uh, a couple of questions that don't get answered and I think Jonah wrote it this way because years later, as, as he's either relating the story or writing it down, he leaves these questions unanswered because he realizes he had to sit and think about them a little bit. One of them we saw uh, in verse 4 of chapter 4, where God asked Jonah, do you do well to be angry? There's no answer there. Now, he gets asked that same question about the plant later, and he gives a somewhat surprising answer and we'll get to that, but, but he doesn't really answer. It's, it's as though Jonas is telling us, you know, I, I had to think about that. You'll notice the passage, the whole book, ends somewhat abruptly with a question that doesn't get answered. It's as though Jonas telling us, you know, I had to think about this a little while, and, and as it gets written, it causes us to think about it as well as we come to the end of, of this book. And one of the things we've noticed going through is that Jonah has not been able to catch a break. You know, he, he's being rebellious, and he's running off, and, and he just can't catch a break. He jumps on a boat, and there's a storm. You know, and just one thing after another, and he's getting more upset and, and more discouraged. He doesn't want these people to repent, and they do. Uh, just everything. He doesn't catch a break until now. Finally, for one brief verse, Jonah catches a break here. Uh, it says in verse 6, The Lord God appointed a plant that might come up over the head of Jonah to give him some shade. Finally, something's going right for Jonah here. And Jonah uses that word appointed. The, the Lord appointed a plant, and it's in verse 6, you'll notice that same word in verse 7, it's in verse uh, 8, it was used back in chapter 1, verse 17, when God appointed the fish, it's as though Jonah is telling us, all right, I want you to know God has been in charge of everything that's been going on, this whole story, and, and Jonah realizes that, but here's this plant, finally, finally, some shade for his head. He had built himself a booth, but that is uh, obviously inadequate. And, and this plant is, is to save him from his discomfort. And, and this is one of the fun things about uh, reading uh, the language Hebrew to, to kind of see what's, being ha or what's happening here. It says to save him uh, from his discomfort. That word uh, saved, what we think when we first read that is God is is saving Jonah from the sun. And that's what Jonah thinks. But, but we find out what God is really saving Jonah from is his bad attitude, is his evil attitude. It, it says to save him from his discomfort. And that word that gets translated discomfort is intentionally ambiguous. It's, it's the word ra'ah in Hebrew. And, and the author, uh, Jonah, is is kind of punning on this range of meanings of that word. Uh, it can mean discomfort, it can mean misery, 
It can mean disaster. It can mean evil. It can mean evil or bad attitude. It's got this wide range of meanings. And he uses that because he's showing us, I thought he was saving me from discomfort. He's saving me from this really bad attitude. And so this, this plant comes up and we're thinking, all right, Jonah's catching a break. Things are going his way, but then we get to verse 7, and that word, but, 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 Jonah can't catch a break. When dawn came up the next day, God had appointed a worm that attacked the plant. The plant withered, and then in verse 8, the sun rose, and God appointed this scorching east wind, and the sun is beating down on the head of Jonah, and he's faint, and, and he asked that he, he, he might die. Here was this plant, and, and it said Jonah was exceedingly glad uh, because of this plant. And, and literally in the Hebrew, you could read that, he rejoiced with great joy. And, and that is at odds with the first verse of chapter 4. Uh, where he was exceedingly angry, and, and that literally said he was angry with a great anger. Uh, when the people repented, he was angry, but here's this little plant, and he's all happy about this, and then God takes it away. God takes this plant away, and, and he's back, and disappointed, discouraged, and, and faint, and that word faint is a pretty strong word. He's, he's about to lose consciousness here. And he asked uh, that he might die. And that word asked, by the way, there's also a strong word. In fact, in other contexts, you could use uh, the word begging. He begged that he might die. It's, it's a strong request. It's better for me to die than, than to live. Here he is, back to being discouraged in his uh, rebellious, obstinate ways. And then God comes with a question. Again, another question for Jonah. And verse 9 would actually be humorous if I didn't identify so closely with Jonah, if I didn't know exactly what he's feeling. Otherwise, it's a little bit humorous almost. God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for this plant? And this is really supposed to be a rhetorical question. You know, this is supposed to be one where Jonah thinks, you know, you're right. This, this plant and I, you're right. I, I'm overreacting. And there's a, a couple of, of hints uh, in this that that plant uh, in the Hebrew language, and I'm not going to go too much into the language, but we'll get a, a little lesson here. At the end of words, there's often something that will tell you uh, something about that word, that they put a suffix on and lets you know a little bit more about the word, a lot of times uh, who it's being attributed to. But on this word that gets translated plant, I think some versions have a vine or gourd. Uh, there's this suffix that denotes a, a, a diminutive, if you will, or something small. In other words, it's a small plant. It's not some big oak tree that has grown, or even a palm tree. It's, it's a small plant. And this is in, in opposition to all of the great things that have been mentioned. 
And, and, I, and Jonah wants us uh, to see this as well. The city of Nineveh has been called great. Back in chapter 1, it was called great. In chapter 3, a little later on, in, at, in verse 11 of this chapter, it's called great. The wind that came up back in chapter 1, verse 4, that was a great wind. The storm or tempest in chapter 1, uh, verse 12, that was a great storm. This fish that swallowed Jonah back in, in chapter 2, uh, that was called a great fish in, in chapter 1, verse 17. And, and that root word gets used a few more times. It's as though Jonah's saying, yeah, God was doing all of these things, and it was great. I mean, I could just see God working in all these big ways, and here I was focused on this small plant. You know, Jonah uh, at this time should have recognized that. Yeah, you're right, God. I, I'm overreacting here. But what does Jonah answer? God says, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah says, yes! Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. Uh, you know, so much for the rhetorical question there. Jonah gives this answer, yes, I'm angry, Lord. And, and that angry enough to die is, is somewhat of an idiomatic expression. Uh, it means to the extreme, how we will often use that as, I was bored to death. Uh, and that's kind of what Jonah is, is getting at here, that I am angry to the extreme, God. On the scale of being slightly annoyed, uh, annoyed to, I couldn't get any angrier, I'm over here. I couldn't get any angrier about this, God. He reminds me a little bit of, of uh, a child. If you've tried to parent a child and they want to do something and it's, it's wrong, somebody's going to get hurt, and you try to explain that. You say, you can't do this because you're going to get hurt or somebody's going to get hurt and this is going to break. Something's going to happen. You just can't do that. So are you going to keep doing this? And every now and then, the child will have a fit of honesty and say, yes, okay. I appreciate your honesty, but we're really not getting anywhere, are we? Because the thing is, we've got to change what's happening. Uh, God said, Jonah, are you really, really doing well to be this angry? And Jonah said, yes, and I'm going to keep being angry about this because I couldn't get any angrier. So it's almost as though God says, all right, we're going to have to look at this a different way. I've got to have you see this a different way. And so in, in verse 10 uh, and verse 11, you'll notice there's a contrast there. In verse 10, uh, the Lord tells Jonah, now you, you pity this plant. But when you get to verse 11, but I, I pity Nineveh. And there, there's this contrast to be seen here. And, and Jonah is supposed to see it said, you, you are pitying this small plant, Jonah. You didn't create the plant. You can't make the plant grow. And, and by the way, the verbal root of that word grow is the same one we get for great that's used everywhere else. It's, it's almost this hint again. You can't make this plant great. You can't get it to do anything. It was made in one night and the next night it was gone that quickly. And, and you're all upset and pitying and all concerned about that plant. 
and should not I pity Nineveh, which is this great city. And, and that word, great, as we've mentioned before, it has a wide range of meanings. could mean great in terms of numbers, and, and we'll see that's certainly true, 120,000 people. Great in terms of military strength, great in terms of importance, and, and it was an important city uh, back in, in the ancient times. Here's this city, this big, important city, Jonah, 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left. And what he's saying here, they are incapable of making correct decisions. They have no wisdom. They, they can't see. They don't know what's, what's going on. There may be a reference here uh, to what we read earlier in Scripture. In Deuteronomy, it comes up uh, a few times, and also in Joshua, this idea of not turning to the right or the left, but following God uh, fully. And, uh, of course, the people of Nineveh wouldn't have understood that, but Jonah would have if, if that's the reference being made. But, but God is saying that they don't, they don't have the wisdom to know which way to turn. They don't know to go right, left, straight. They don't know, John. They're spiritually blind. They're spiritually blind. And, and we see God's concern. We, we can see that God has pity for these people, 120,000 people, and they've got lots of resources. They're a very strong uh, city, strong nation, They've got all these cattle. They've got all these resources. They've got so much, but they're spiritually blind, Jonah, and they can't see. Shouldn't I have pity on them? That they don't know what to do? You know, one of the reasons that Jesus healed the blind, and then there were a number of reasons, but, but one of the reasons that he healed the blind was to illustrate this idea of spiritual blindness. And he would teach about it a couple of times. In fact, uh, in, in all the Old Testament, there was nobody ever born blind that got sight. And, and Jesus did that. And, and part of that illustration was, it's God who gives sight. If we're going to see, it is God who will give us that vision to know what's right and what's wrong. And here's this city that needed to repent and will need to repent in the future. They're, they're going to go bad again. And God knew that was going to happen. And so did Jonah, actually. That's one of the reasons he's upset. But here's this city that needed to repent. And they need someone to teach them. They need to know. Shouldn't I have pity on them, Jonah? You know, when we look around us, there are a bunch of people don't know Christ. A bunch of people not walking with God. Just for fun, I, uh, I, you know, you can look up things on the internet that really don't have a good answer, but you can ask the question, and someone tries to answer it anyhow. And so I did that yesterday. I thought, you know, I'm going to ask this stupid question, see what kind of stupid answer I get. I just, I, I typed in, how many people does the average person meet 
in their lifetime. You know, on average, how, how many people does, does somebody meet in their lifetime? And, and the answer ranged anywhere from 10,000 to 80,000. Um, and, and one of the answers, they said, calculating how many people the average person physically meets in a lifetime is a somewhat impossible statistic. And, and you're right. Yeah. You know, I don't know, 10,000, 80,000. Uh, so then I narrowed it a little bit. Still a stupid question, but I thought, I'm, I'm going to ask this one instead. So I typed in, how many people does the average American, U.S. citizen, uh, American, how many do we know? Not just that we're aware that they exist, but that we actually know on some level. And, and one of the answers I got was actually from an article in New York Times from 2013 that said 600. And some people might say, 600, yeah, that's about right. And others are thinking, no, about 16, maybe. Uh, it, it's hard to tell. The, the, the numbers are all over the place. How many do we meet? How many do we know? But here's what I can tell you. Here's what I can tell you of the people that you meet, the people that you know. 100% of those people have an eternal soul. And 100% of those people are going to stand before God someday. They're going to stand before the judgment seat. 100% of them. And they will either live in eternity in glory with Christ or they will live in the torment of the cursed being uh, bearing the penalty of their sin for eternity. 100% of the people you know and meet are going to be in one of those places. I mentioned earlier that the book of Jonah just ends with a question, this unanswered question. And I like how Timothy Keller uh, looks at it. He writes this, It is as if God shoots this arrow of a question at Jonah. But Jonah disappears. And we realize that the arrow is aimed at us. How will you answer? How will you answer? Filled with concern, pity, maybe even outrage about the temporary, the thing that is gone here today, gone tomorrow. As Jesus said, the treasure that will rust or the moth will eat or a thief will come and steal. All upset about that and concerned with that or, or filled with pity and concern for the eternal souls that God puts in our lives. You might look at that and think, well, there are numbers that you gave us here, 600 people and 80,000 people, and with Jonah, 120, I can't evangelize that many people. And my first answer would be, yeah, without prayer, you can't. But I will say this, God has people in your life. And then I'll ask the real pointed question, how many of them are you praying for? Not only those that you love and you know they're not walking with Christ, 
but even those that you don't really like, as in Jonah's case. Do you have any of them on your list? They're going to come before the throne of God. Why aren't we lifting them up first, bringing them to God? Because here's the encouragement in all of this. Our starting point is prayer, and we have pity for these people, especially the ones we love, but even those who don't know right from wrong and we don't really like. But also, notice this, God has pity for those people. Let's lift them up and let God lead the way. He's the sovereign Lord. He's the one that can open their eyes to the truth of Christ. Dying on their cross, paying the penalty for that sin that they won't have to bear it for an eternity. Because we live in this world of bad ideas and bad theology and bad philosophies and all kinds of deception and all kinds of desires, and we can clearly look around and see they just don't know any better. They just don't know any better. And they need our prayers. They need our humble obedience to God. They need our loving, faithful witness to the truth. And like Jonah, we need to see from a godly point of view, what needs to be done. Those things that should concern us. And those things that drive us to God because we know our total dependence is upon him. It ends with this question. It's directed at Jonah. It's intended for us. Do we pity the things that God pities? are our hearts after the things that God is concerned about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your cause, your cause, Lord, and, and not our own, engages our hearts. Lord, glorify yourself. We rejoice. We adore you that you are God and long that others should know it as well, that they should feel it and that they should rejoice in it, rejoice in your salvation. Lord, let sinners be brought to you for your great name and for your glory. And Heavenly Father, we ask that you use us as you will. Promote your truth. Let thy kingdom come. And let your blessed purpose be advanced in this world. It is your cause and your kingdom that we long for. Not our own, Lord. Give us eyes to see and lead us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.